Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining us for a new Faculty Chronicles podcast at Marietta College. I know it's been a little while since our last podcast, but I am confident that today's guest and our topic will make it worth the wait. I'm your host, Tom Perry, and today we are pleased to welcome Dr. Ann Bragg, Professor of Astronomy and the Director of the Anderson Hancock Planetarium. She is joining us today to discuss the recent launch of Artemis 1 to the moon and the James Webb Telescope that continues to change astronomers' views on our galaxy. Anne, thank you for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Well, let's just go ahead and get right into it. Um, let's start with, with the launch of Artemis 1. I know I'm excited about it, so I want to ask you, how exciting is it that NASA is looking to return to the moon, and why do you feel this is an important step? Well, I'll start by saying I'm very excited about this launch. I was born a little over a year after the last Apollo mission, so that all happened before I was alive. So it's exciting to see us going back. Uh, particularly, it's exciting that there will be a woman visiting the moon. We don't know who yet, but that is one of the goals of the mission. Another thing that's very exciting to me about the Artemis mission is how that it's really geared towards trying to have a more long-term presence on the moon, potentially eventually building a, a base on the moon and having visits by astronauts that are weeks or even months long, as opposed to the three-day visit that we saw from the last Apollo mission. Okay. Um, what, you, you know, you talked about uh, there will be upcoming manned missions, but obviously this one's unmanned. They're doing whatever those early, you know, kind of uh, experiments or just trying to remind themselves what it's like to go to the moon. Because like you said, we have a generation, more than just one generation, that really doesn't remember going to the moon. Um, but NASA is planning to send astronauts to the moon on Artemis II in 2024. Uh, why is there such a long gap between Artemis I that launched on November 16th of this year and the next launch? What has to happen? Well, I think there are two main answers to that question. So one is, of course, the reason that this first mission is an unmanned mission is as a test of the technology. There are some mannequins in that Orion probe, and they're making measurements of what the conditions are like in that orbit, what sort of radiation and so on that astronauts would be exposed to. And then it will be important to take that information into account before actually sending people up there to make things as safe as possible for those astronauts. The other big issue is money. So, of course, we all know it's very expensive to send astronauts to the moon. And how quickly you can do things is partly a function of how fast you're willing to spend that money. And so that is certainly part of why this doesn't happen faster. Okay, I am going to go off script a little bit and just ask you one more question because it is the moon and it's so cool. And I, I'm, I'm kind of the same as you. You know, you had said you were born right after the last one. I was born right after the first mission to the moon. So I really don't have any recollection of it either. Why is it? Why do you think we get so enamored? Is it just because of the proximity? We all see the moon every night. That type of, what is it about going to the moon that you think? And I go, no, this is less scientific. But what, what is it about it that makes it just so exciting? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's because it's an actual destination in space. When people go to the moon, they've really gone somewhere. I can see how going to the space station or up in the shuttle would be exciting. But in that situation, you're 100 miles or so above the surface of the Earth. You really haven't gone that far away. You're still basically at the Earth. You're just a little higher up. Whereas you're going to the moon, you're going to this entirely different object in the solar system where you can walk around. And I just think there's something inherently fascinating about that idea. All right. Well, we're going to switch gears to the, to the uh, James Webb Telescope. And 
Um, it is sending back images and we're seeing places that let's just be honest, we're never going to get to visit. I mean, we're never going to get to see these things, but you know, this was launched in December of 2020, 2021. And since then it, it really continues to amaze scientists and what they see. I mean, they're seeing such clear images of things that, and it's really changed the perception of these things. Um, as someone who loves to look up at the sky, I'm just assuming that you love to look up at the sky just based on your work at the planetarium and what we've talked about in the past. Could you tell us what it has been like for you to see these unbelievable images from outer space of things that you may have seen when you were in college, but they looked probably a lot different? It's pretty remarkable to see these images. I can remember going to conferences 20 years ago when I was in graduate school and hearing about what was then called the Next Generation Space Telescope and the things that would be observable with it. I even have a post-it pad at home that's got the branding of the Next Generation Space Telescope that was being handed out at the conference. And so actually seeing this telescope finally get finished and get launched and be functioning, just that in and of itself is pretty fantastic. And then seeing the images that are coming back, as you said, they're, they're amazing. I'm not sure what I can really add to that. Perfect. Well, as I said, the, the most recent images are, are showing how galaxies started forming faster and earlier than expected. Can you explain what scientists are discovering in these images to help them understand the formation of galaxies even better than we understood before? Like it's, it's I think sometimes hard for someone who doesn't understand when they start talking about the for, how they're seeing the forming of galaxies. I mean, I'll admit, I sometimes don't quite grasp that. Can you ex help in terms of people who don't do this for a living can understand what it is the scientists are really seeing? That's a great question. And there are so many different directions I could go with my answer. But let me start with trying to put this into a little bit of context in terms of important background information that a non-astronomer or a non-astronomy enthusiast may not have kind of just on hand. So one thing that telescopes do for us is they let us see fainter objects. They collect far more light than, than our eyes, for example. And as we build larger and larger telescopes, we'll be able to see things that are, that are fainter and fainter. And that also means that we can see objects that are farther and farther away because all other things being equal, a more distant object is going to be fainter than a closer object. Now, because the speed of light is not infinity and it takes time for light to get from one place to another, it means that when we look at these very distant objects, we're seeing what they looked like in the very distant past. For closer objects, that's not such a big deal. We see the moon the way it looked about a second ago. Uh, we see... Saturn, how it looked maybe about an hour ago. These are not huge times in, in an astronomical sense. Even stars that we see in the night sky, we're seeing them as they appeared a few years, maybe as much as a few thousand years ago. But again, those are pretty short timescales for astronomy. But if we start looking at galaxies that are 10 billion light years away, where that light has taken 10 billion years to get to us, we're really seeing what galaxies looked like in the past. So by looking at these very distant galaxies, we can see how galaxies as a whole have changed over time. Now, one of the things that's been really surprising is that what astronomers have found in some of these first images of very distant galaxies really doesn't match what they were expecting. And so that is leading to a lot of interesting ideas about what could be going on. Could be something as simple as some calibration issues with the telescope that are still being worked out. Maybe these galaxies aren't as far away as people think. But it could also mean that some of our ideas about how galaxies are forming in those very early stages need some modification. 
So a simple question, I hope. How important, that's not the right word, how impactful is the James Webb Telescope to this kind of research? It's really difficult to overstate how important the Webb Telescope is for this type of research. There are four big science goals that the Webb Telescope was designed to try to be particularly well-positioned to address. And the assembly of galaxies, how you get from having no galaxies to having the kinds of galaxies that we see today, that is one of those big four questions. The Hubble Space Telescope did do some work in that area, but the Webb Telescope, it's a larger telescope, so it can see fainter objects, meaning farther away objects. But also, the Webb Telescope is an infrared telescope, whereas the Hubble Space Telescope was a visible light telescope, or is a visible light telescope, actually. It's still still operating up there. The reason that an infrared telescope is so important when we look at these distant objects is because of the expansion of the universe, the light from those objects is getting shifted to longer wavelengths. And so light that's being emitted at those galaxies as ultraviolet light or visible light, it's not still ultraviolet or visible light when it gets here. It's actually been shifted into the infrared. So without an infrared telescope, we're not really able to see the bulk of that radiation. The only problem with doing a podcast is people can't see your face light up when you talk about this. I know you're trying to, but I I can tell there's a a passion for this and and an enjoyment in being able to see this. How are you able to translate that in the classroom? I I always like to bring it back to the class. You know, has this been uh, an exciting semester or, you know, whatever, however you want, or maybe exciting year, whatever you want to say, but, you know, to be able to have this new information available to you that wasn't available two, three years ago. Certainly, I've been mentioning the Webb Telescope in classes before now, trying to talk about here are some things that we might actually know better once the Webb Telescope is up there. And I've incorporated some of the images into class this semester, and we certainly talked about the Artemis launch just the other week when that happened. I really anticipate However, that that this will come up much more in some classes that are not the classes I'm teaching right now. So I teach a class about cosmology called Big Bang and Beyond every couple of years. And certainly these questions about the, the assembly of galaxies and so on, that'll be very interesting question to delve into more in that class now that we have these web images and so on. And another topic that the telescope is investigating that we haven't talked about here is the formation of extrasolar planets and looking at the atmospheres of those planets and so on. And so the class that I teach that deals with, well, extrasolar planets uh, is certainly going to be making good use of that information. And again, just another quick, simple question. I mean, what is the student engagement in this? I got to imagine that this is kind of their, you know, I don't want to call it the you know the the race for the moon kind of thing, but they're getting to experience things that really generations have not. I mean, this telescope, and then obviously going back to the moon, and then we're talking about Mars and those kind of things. You know, I mean, it's a pretty exciting time to to think about space exploration. Absolutely, and I was just meeting with one of my students earlier this afternoon, and she had a NASA sweatshirt on, and. Um, Yes, among some of the students, there's quite a bit of excitement about all of this. 
Well, I don't know if I get a vote, but we'll get we'll put a vote in for you to be that first woman on the moon. How is that? Would you would you would you like that? I don't know. Shaking her head. Maybe she doesn't want to go up in a. Yeah, I get a little motion sick. All right, so, so maybe I'm not. Probably not. Maybe not. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Faculty Chronicles, and thank you to Dr. Bragg for sharing her insight and general interest in these topics with us today. If you'd like to learn more about Marietta College, please visit www.marietta.edu.